Good morning, all of you out there, either here or wherever you are. We're studying in Romans chapter 8. Two weeks ago, we dealt with the latter verses of chapter 7 and the first four verses of chapter 8. And so this morning, we hope to get through this chapter. We're looking at a new mind, a new nature, and a new identity. Who are you? What is your identity? What identity do others give you? What do you give yourself? There's all kinds of words that can come up. Uh, there's a book about that thick that's filled with uh, diagnostic uh, statements about all the mental and emotional things that we can have or do. And a lot of people get their identity from doctors and say, uh, you have this or you have that. Or you may commit a crime. And so you're stamped for life with a certain identity. You may be here with condemnation about things that you've done in your past. And so you think of you yourself in terms of what you have done. And that is your identity. And so you try to go forward in life from that. God has a radically different approach to all of this. And this is wonderfully set forth in Romans chapter 8. Father, we ask for the ministry of the Spirit of God to be upon us, that the revelation of Scripture would get deep into our souls, our spirit, that we would be restored, transformed by the Word of God. And we bless you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. We could state another way this passage by saying carnally minded or spiritually minded, and there is a difference. So, we have a sin problem. That's what we learned and is what sets forth in Romans chapter 7. And trying to relate to God by keeping the law uh, just is not going to work. Uh, that's set forth in chapter 7. And uh, we, we embrace some system of belief. And it's either a system rooted and grounded in the grace of God or in salvation by works. And so the chapter ends and continues in chapter 8. The only hope and solution is Jesus Christ. And... There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. So I gave you this uh, outline, which is just Romans 8, 5 through 17, because we're going to be looking at that the whole way. And I'd like for us to be on the, the same page. And uh, with all due respect to you who like to use your handheld instruments, uh, there's nothing on the sidebar that will discredit, that will divide your attention, uh, that you won't be receiving any emails or anything while you're getting this. So um, I commend this little sheet to you. And uh, I'll be focused on my notes quite a bit because I'm mostly going to be sharing these scriptures 
and we'll go through them, and then we'll maybe go through them again. So, here are clear words from the Word of God. Those who are in Christ are no longer under condemnation. No if, ands, or buts. No longer dominated by a carnal, fleshly mind. You now have a spiritual mind. And so in verse 5, for those who live according to the flesh, your lower nature, your earthly nature, the flesh, those who live according to the flesh, set their minds. Now, oh, wait a minute, I don't want to talk about your mind because I don't want to think. I want something to emotionally stir me. I want some, some, something to uh, rev me up in my emotions. Hmm. Well, God says we're dealing with the mind. And so that's where we're going to deal this morning. And the reality of those who are in the flesh, those who are not born again, they set their minds. Oh, yes, you have emotions, but your emotions overflow from your thinking. But those who live according to the flesh, that's lifestyle living, set their minds on the things of the flesh. You do exactly what you want to do according to what you're thinking. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit, they set their minds on the things of the Spirit. The Christian life is not a life of wishing or hoping or stirring up emotions. Uh, fundamentally, the Christian life is lived by the set of your mind again and again and again. For to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So there are strong consequences here. Depending on what kingdom you're in. The kingdom of the flesh or the kingdom of the spirit. He goes on in verse 7 to say, Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. The stronger word that is reality here is hates God. I don't think I've ever met anybody who just came up to me and said, I want you to know something right now. I just want to get this all laid out there so you can know where I'm coming from. I hate God. Well, I've never said that. You don't have to say it for it to be true. Every natural person who is not born again, you hate God. That is... Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. You are bound and determined to go your own way, to do your own thing. You do not want to submit to God. You do not want to follow him. That's the essence of being lost. That's the essence of being, of hating God. We like to smooth it over and make it look nice. God says, this is what it is. And the reason here is because it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can it be? Well, I'm a nice person. I'm a good person. Well, I agree with the Ten Commandments. But your heart and your, the, the direction of your life is one of hating God, of wanting to go your own way, not of wanting to obey God's commandments. And God says, 
you naturally do not have the ability to submit to God. Verse 8, so then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. There are many people who are going around trying to please God. And many people quite happy with their attempts to please God. When Israel many moons ago built the golden calf, uh, they didn't have any, oh no, maybe this doesn't please God. They're not concerned about pleasing God. They're concerned about pleasing themselves. So he goes on in verse 9. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. He's making making plain the difference between a lost person and a saved person. He's making a division between All the Baptists in the world. Some of them are saved and some of them are not. Or choose some other religious group that is evangelical. Their statement of faith has true gospel. But the issue is, what is the condition of my heart? Again, verse 9 But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of God, he is not him. Oh, we have the spirit. Man, we're jumping on pews and we're jumping up and down and we're singing and shouting and we're speaking in tongues. Oh man, we believe in the spirit. That's not what it's talking about. The Spirit is evidenced by the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, they're ninefold expressions. Uh, is exampled to us by Jesus, who was filled with the Spirit. Verse 10, Now if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we're going to make a grand conclusion here. Uh, Some of you here that at some time or other, every genuine Christian has had this battle where uh, by the grace of God, you're in Christ and you believe in Christ and you're seeking to go forward with Christ. Uh, and at the same time you feel the, the power struggle of, of the flesh and the world, the flesh, and the devil, your three great enemies, and you at times fall flat on your face having said yes to them. So verse 12 is very strong and very important for us. Therefore, brethren and sisterin or sisters, We are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. You owe nothing to your lower earthly nature. Have you told yourself that lately? Right after having failed the Lord, right after having given in to the flesh, is a good time to bring yourself to attention and say, I'm no no longer obligated to live there. 
We have no obligation to obey the pulls of the flesh. None. I said, it sure feels like we do. I understand. You're in a war zone. But you need to tell yourself the truth. You have no obligation. That sin is put before you, tempting. And it comes with bright colors and all kinds of pleasures. And But because you've been hiding God's word in your heart, you know it's going to hum, come to a bad end. And in spite of all of the temptation, you say, I'm under no obligation to live there, to go there. So we're living either in the flesh or in the f- spirit. In the flesh, these verses help us to know, we hate God. We refuse his lordship. We consistently feed our fleshly desires. You're dead and you will die. In radical contrast, but if the spirit, but if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you are alive and you will live. See, one of the issues here is not whether or not you ever succumb to the flesh. A Christian is not one who says, I don't sin anymore. The Christian is one who is in mortal battle. You're clothed in Christ, you're rooted and grounded in Christ, but you're still in the battle. And so, if by the Spirit you put to death, you don't live the Christian life passively. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. From Philippians. Verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. I find it interesting that so many people uh, use that term only when they're talking about something well, I prayed and I was led to buy this car. I prayed and I was led to go here. I, I prayed and I was, I was led to do this and led to do that. And I never hear people saying and sell, sell them do. Many of us have this concept of being led by the Spirit of God. When you're led by the Spirit of God, you know what he will do. Remember last week we were looking at walking in the steps of Jesus. The Spirit of God will lead you to walk in the steps of Jesus. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons and daughters of God. You say, well, that's true. There's a lot of church members who are in the wrong camp. Yes. Verse 15, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Verse 16, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. The Christian life is a life of intimacy and relationship with God by means of the Holy Spirit who lives within us. So in, in verses 5 through 17, we discover that these salvation blessings are given to every believer. At the moment of your salvation, you have been given the blessing of a new mind. And that's set forth in verses 5 through 8. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on 
what that nature desires. But those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on what the Holy Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death. The mind controlled by the Holy Spirit is life and will reveal Holy Spirit likeness guiding you in the steps of Jesus. The natural mind, the sinful mind, is hostile to God, does not submit to God's law, cannot. Those who are controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. There is a difference between a lost man and a saved man. Can you imagine such a thing? However, when we savingly encounter Jesus Christ, we experience a miracle. We have a new mind. We have a new way of thinking. Biblical Christianity does not bypass the mind. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 14 and 16. But the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself judges no man. Verse 16, for who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. That's a part of your identity. That's fundamentally what it means to be a Christian. And so if something is put in front of you, that doesn't jive with the mind of Christ. That does not manifest the mind of Christ. Away with it. Put it to death. Bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Jesus Christ. That's the war zone. Second Timothy 1, 7. For God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, and of love, and of a messed up mind. I hope you know that was a bad translation. He has given us not the spirit of fear, but of power, and of love, and of a sound mind. We are exhorted... In the first and greatest commandment, to love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind. Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our emotions. <laughs> no, 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 by the renewing of our mind. So by the Holy Spirit, we have the mind of Christ. We must fill our minds with the word of God. The man Christ Jesus filled himself with the word of God. As we study and meditate upon the Bible, the Holy Spirit will change the way we think and empower us with godly actions. And as our thinking changes, so our mind will change. So here you, here you are this morning, and you have a long history of thinking badly, thinking unchristianly, thinking fleshly. I've been in this rut for a long time. I can't get out. I've always been this way. I can't change. But if you're in Christ, you have a new mind. And he'll change your thinking as you fill and flood your heart with the word of God. And as, as your thinking is changed, 
your behavior will begin to increasingly change and your emotions will come along. I've used the illustration, it wasn't original with me, but picture in your mind a train. Now, this is a short train. It only has three units. The first is the, is the, the engine. And then the middle is a car. And that's where you are. That's where we are. And for those of you who don't know, years ago, every train had a caboose. So here, this engine has a train, has a place for you to be, for me to be, and then a caboose. So in the spiritual realm, the engine is truth. God's word. Jesus, this is the written truth. Jesus is the living truth. The Holy Spirit is the truth. And we're sitting on, in the car and we're to live by our emotions. Oh, no, no, no. We're to live by faith. We're to live by believing God. We're to, we're to live by focusing on the truth. What's the caboose? Feelings. Emotions. They will tag along. But you won't make any progress if you are focused on your feelings. This is painful, but it's reality. It didn't take Cindy and I very long to destroy all of the emotions of our marriage, and we almost divorced. But in a progressive way, by the grace and mercy of God, we began to turn toward focusing on the truth. Regardless of what we had done, regardless of the emotions, the bad emotions and the lack of positive emotions that were there, the more we focused on the truth and began to obey the truth as an act of worship to the Lord on behalf of the other person in time, restoration of the emotions came. It's that way in every battle. God changes your thinking, changes your behavior. Changes your emotions. Many of you know that I love and appreciate and share and give away tons of copies of Ed Wheat's book, Love Life for Every Married Couple, on pages 206 to 212. He deals with that very thing in counseling people, helping them to see the first thing God wants to do is change your thinking. So a couple is sitting in front of me. And their emotions are filled with, I mean, you can just, the daggers are flowing. Hate, resentment, bitterness. An infallible record of all the wrongs of the other person. That ain't going to get better. But you submit to the word of God. And you begin to take on God's assignments for you. And the more you take on God's thinking, God begins to work on your behavior. Regardless of whether the others, other person's behavior is changing or not. That's God's business. You focus on you. You got a broken relationship in your family. You got broken relationships in where you work, whatever. God wants to change your thinking. God wants to change my thinking. God wants to change my behavior so that I will reflect Christ. Regardless of what's going on. And then emotions will change. So it's no wonder then that 1 Peter 1.13 says, Wherefore gird up the loins of your mind, 
Be sober. Be serious-minded. And hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, we don't have the same dress garb as the days in which Peter was living in parts of the world even today. But they had a long robe. And uh, I saw some of these over in India. A lot of people, men, dressed with things like that. And if they were going to be walking a long distance, they would gird up the, uh, their garments and tie them in a knot. It would free them to walk or free them to run. And so when the loose ends are out of the way, then they could walk or run. Allowing these loose ends to keep dangling would cause you to be stopped or hindered in where you were going. So, gird up the loins of your mind. I think I had a couple of other translations of that. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, uh, fix your hopes on the grace which is to be yours. Concentrate your minds with the strictest self-control and fix your hope on the blessing that is coming to you. Gird up your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Oh, that's a big part of the battle, isn't it? Having a having a mind focused not only on who you are, but your destiny. I'm headed home to be with Jesus. Which would you rather be if it's sundown today? Jesus walked into your house or mine, and you were there reading your Bible and praising the Lord, or you were there ministering to someone, or he walked in and you were screaming and fussing and fighting and cursing and and doing whatever, watching porn, watching bad movies. He said, well, that's easy. He's coming. He may be coming for me before and for you at the next heartbeat. Live sober. Live ready. Live with a conscious awareness of the grand meeting that you're going to have. Have you ever noticed that people who are uh, planning to get married, the closer they get to it, the more focused they get, and a lot of other things get out of the way? And, and uh, where's so-and-so? Well, he's, he's gone to see his girlfriend. Oh. Imagine that. How do you find time for that? It's amazing how things like that can change our focus and other things don't matter anymore. Or they don't matter as much. We put them in a secondary place because we have, we're headed toward marriage. And now you're engaged. Now you're just days from the wedding. You're focused. You need to be focused. 
on that great day when Jesus comes. So, pick up the loose ends. If we do not deal with the loose ends that exist in our minds and emotions, correct those parts in our thinking that we know that are wrong, grab hold of those dangling areas in our thinking and put them out of the way, remove them by the authority of God's word. If we don't do that, then we are choosing to permit those things to exist in our lives and they will hinder and slow us down. Now, if I'm not even in that battle and I have no interest in that battle, I may be in the wrong family. Are there some loose ends that need to be dealt with today? Well, it's just the way I am. I've always been this way. I can't change. You're not listening. I'm not listening. What am I going to do about all this? Well, we've been given a new mind. Those who live according to the sinful nature have set their minds on what that sinful nature desires. That sinful nature desires to keep on confessing. This is the way I am. Well, therefore, I'm excused to go on living the way I am. Then maybe it's God's fault. But those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on what the Holy Spirit desires. I'm having a problem with my mind. It's rooted in my past. I need to devour the Scriptures. The mind of the sinful man is death. The mind controlled by the Holy Spirit is life and will reveal Holy Spirit likeness. We not only have a new mind... In verses 9 through 11, we have a new nature. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives within you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised up Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives within you. Have you thought lately about how much you have in common with Jesus? The man Christ Jesus? That's how he lived. Dependent upon the Holy Spirit for everything. Verse 9 gives a clear definition of what it means to be a Christian. A true Christian is one who has the spirit of Christ within him. The key mark of the genuine Christian is the indwelling Holy Spirit. Who takes up residence in your body. Your body is the temple. 1 Corinthians uh, 6, 9 through 11. Your temple is the temple of the Holy Spirit which you have. Which you've been bought with a price. You, you do not belong to yourself, therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are His. So Jesus saves you. When He saves you, the third person of the Trinity comes to live within you. That's what it means to be in the Spirit. We're not talking about some sort of emotional, ethereal, 
excitement. Oh, we had church service today, and boy, everybody's in the spirit. And they were jumping up and down and shouting and singing. And on Monday morning, still living like the devil. Oh, we were in the spirit today. Man, we were really studying the word of God, but on Monday, still living like the devil. When we're in the spirit, yes, we're in the word of God. And the word of God is getting us, getting in us, increasingly getting into our spiritual bloodstream. And we not only have a new mind, but we have a new nature. The body is dead because of sin. Your physical body is slowly wasting away. But in Christ, we die and yet we live. Our physical body will waste away, but yet we live forever. Seeds of life springing up where death once reigned. It's the wonder of the gospel. Where death once reigned, now life reigns. When Jesus saved you, the person of the Holy Spirit came to live within you. The spirit that raised up Jesus will also one day raise up your mortal bodies. Look verse 11. Here is an explicit promise of future resurrection. The Holy Spirit who presently lives within you is like a down payment of God's future complete deliverance. There are coming a day where we won't even experience temptation. Do Christians die? Yes, but the death is not all. Your body is laid to rest. But your spirit is already resting in Christ. And one day you'll experience glorious resurrection. If God raised his son from the dead, you by that same spirit will be raised from the dead. So we have a new mind, a new nature. We're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And we have from all of this a new identity. In verses 14 through 17. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God, the sons and daughters of God. You know, in our world, it's a good thing to be able to, well, well who are you? And, and, oh, I did this genealogy, and, and my, oh, my heritage has this and this, and, and this famous person, and this famous person, and, and boy, I'm so excited about my identity and the identity of my family. It is said that one occasion that Pastor Adrian Rogers in Memphis, a lady came up and said, uh, I'm so excited. My name is also Rogers, and I've traced our heritage. And she went on and on, and she finally came to a sort of a period, and he said, well, ma'am, I've traced our heritage back further than that. We came from... uh, a wicked farmer and a drunk sailor. Adam and Noah. She lost her smile. Well, didn't we all? Yeah, we have a heritage. Yes, we are created in the image of God. God has incredible purposes for us, but sin has marred all of that. But Christ doesn't just restore it. He makes us sons and daughters of God. Wait a minute, I'm a son, I'm a child of God. That does not belong in my life. I'm saying no to it. 
Why don't you and I start telling ourselves the truth? You're in a war. Well, I don't want to offend anybody. Maybe I ought to say no to that sin. Are you kidding me? Run from it. There's something you don't just say no. You run. Flee fornication. Flee idolatry. It's the word of God. You have a new identity. Verse 14 through 17. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons and daughters of God. For you did not receive that. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. But you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're God's children. This is why there's another related lesson we need to remind ourselves. You remember what happened when, when God broke in on Saul of Tarsus' life? You remember what he said? Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? You said, oh, wait a minute. Jesus is in heaven. Saul's on earth. How is he persecuting Jesus? The way you treat another Christian is the way you treat Jesus. Run that through how you, the attitudes and actions and the words you're speaking about fellow Christians. Well, I don't even believe they're a Christian. All the more reason you ought to have your words and attitudes guided so that the spirit of Christ is manifest. If children then heirs, heirs with God, co-heirs with Christ. In these verses, the Holy Spirit calls Christians sons of God, God's children, speaking Abba, Father, a term of endearment. The sons of God is an official status by the grace of God. It's not the same thing as some of the television preachers are claiming, I'm God. No. This is a grace gift of the reality of every true Christian. That's our identity in Christ. You're no longer a son of Satan. You're a son of God. You're no longer in the flesh. You're in the spirit. You're no longer living according to the world, but you're living according to God's word. You are a blood-bought child of God. You once served Satan, now you serve God. You once walked in darkness, now you walk in the light. You once followed your own desires, now you live to please Jesus. Not perfectly, but that's the road you're on. And when you get off of it, the Holy Spirit will be faithful never to condemn you, but always to convict you and say, come home. Come home, child. Come back. And he loves us so much that he will not let his true children live and wallow in sin. He'll chasten all those whom he loves. So we have these great gifts of the Holy Spirit. The essence of what it means to be a Christian. You have a new mind, a new nature. 
and a new identity. And this leaves us with a grand obligation. Romans 8, 12, and 13. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful flesh to live according to it. For you, if you live according to the sinful flesh, you will die. But if according to the Spirit, if you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And again, verse 12, we don't owe anything to the flesh. Because we've been set free. We're not in the flesh, we're in the Spirit. We owe everything to the Holy Spirit. We owe everything to Jesus. Either you and I will leave today to follow the dictates of our flesh or to follow the Holy Spirit where he leads in paths of righteousness. This, this is war. You have peace with God and you have the peace of God, but you are at war with the flesh, the world, and the devil. And you have all the equipment that you need to win the battle on a daily basis because you have a new mind. Flood that mind with the word of God. You have a new nature, the Holy Spirit. You have a new identity. I'm a child of God. The world may say, they may stamp my biography and say, you did this and you'll always be identified by this. This is what you did. You have a new mind, the mind of Christ. You have a new nature indwelt by the Holy Spirit. You have a new identity, a child of God, a daughter of God, a son of God. You have no obligation to the flesh. Put to death the deeds of the flesh. Walk forward being led by the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Our Father, we bless you and praise you for the wonder of what it means to be a Christian. We pray that we would be freshly excited about the possibilities of going forth, winning spiritual battles, putting off the old man, putting on the new man, humbly reveling in, rejoicing in our new mind, feeding that mind with the word of God, rejoicing in the provisions of the Holy Spirit who now indwells in our new family. If there are those here this morning outside the family of Christ who have never repented, never believed, may this be the day of crying out for mercy. O Lord God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Have your own way in each of our lives, and we bless you and praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.